All right, Bridge Church. Good day. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, those are my groupies. Um, Thank you. Um, so I just want to say good day. My name is Rich Bowman. I'm one of the elders here at the Bridge Church. Uh, our lead pastor, James Roberson, uh, he's out of town with his family, so I'll kind of be pinch hitting today. Um, before I jump right into the sermon, there's a quick announcement I want to make. Um, on October 4th, something called Vision 2020. I'm very excited about it. It's a chance for current members or those who are considering becoming covenant members with us at this church to just hear more about the church, hear the history, and to see five years out where we're going, what's in store for you at Bridge Church. Um, the dope part about it is that 6 p.m. October 4th after church, dinner and childcare provided, so no excuses. Um, so I hope to see all you guys there. It's gonna be an awesome time. Cool. So we're going to get jump right in. Um, today we're talking about discipleship. Um, it's kind of a quick pause on what we've been talking about with the cash rules series. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm actually appreciative of that break. Um, the last sermon that James gave on Sunday, just about this whole idea of managing uh, versus owning, being a steward versus having ownership of your money and really everything that we have uh, has really been rocking me. It's been something that it's, I've just been praying through, talking to my city group about, talking to my wife about. It's just been something that is still a struggle for me. Um, and so I'm actually very appreciative of having a break and just more time to chew on that concept and to get it into my soul. Um, and so we're going to be talking about discipleship today as we continue uh, just to kind of just kind of chew on what James gave us last Sunday. Um, Cool. So if you guys have your Bibles, whether it be online, offline, app, paper, or the screen, uh, we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Matthew 8, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with, I am with you always uh, to the end of the age. Um, so the big concept, the big word that we're seeing in this scripture here is really disciples. Um, and disciples really means a student or like a follower. And that should be familiar to you because just a couple months back, we had a series called Follow, right? It was this long, great eight-week series where James was really going through how can we be a disciple of Jesus? How can we live a life that shows that we're a follower of Jesus Christ? And what I found is in this great concept of discipleship that that has become the easy part for me, surprisingly. Because as a disciple of Jesus, I'm, I'm experiencing him and Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. He has perfect understanding, perfect love. I'll follow him wherever he goes. I can't argue against that. But looking at that scripture in Matthew, there's some key words that I want to highlight. Go, make disciples, and teaching them. So there are these guys called the disciples and they were with Jesus for a very long time. They learned from him, he, they lived together. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I spent all this time teaching you guys. Now I want you guys to go and teach others. 
Well, that makes sense to me, right? It's like a discipleship, kind of like pyramid scheme happening here, multi-level marketing, right? Um, and so what I don't understand is just that it doesn't seem fair to me. And that really rubbed me the wrong way because these initial disciples had a physical touch with Jesus. They had Jesus face to face, Jesus in the flesh. But these new batch of disciples, they aren't going to get Jesus in the flesh, right? They're getting these disciples. They're getting Jesus Christ representatives. And that's where some of the uneasiness begins, right? I'm sure you guys have all seen this scene in a movie or a TV show, right? There's some kind of big drug lord kingpin and he's going to do a deal with another party and they show up at a drop site. It's under some shady bridge and the guy gets out of the car. He's got his briefcase in his hand, puts a briefcase on the table. They pop it open. All the money is there. Check the bills. Make sure it's all good, right? Then the next party who's supposed to be, we'll call him Mr. X, right? Mr. X is supposed to get out the car, but it's not him, it's somebody else. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I only do deals with Mr. X. And the guy goes, yeah, I know, but Mr. X is a really, really busy guy. And so he couldn't make it today, so he sent me instead. And what happens? Briefcase closes and they leave. And they say, look, if Mr. X wants to do business in this side of town, he better come do it himself. And stop sending his lackeys down here to do his job for him, right? But honestly, that's how we are. We don't like representatives. And what I've found is most of the church hurt that we have is from a bad Jesus Christ representative that we found. Most of the church hurt, most of the problems that I've heard from people or just their experience in church has been, I encountered a bad representative. I've been hurt by them. He or she wasn't representing Jesus properly. And many of us have given up on churches, given up on friendships, and even given up on a relationship with God himself because of bad representatives. And the crazy thing is, God continues to entrust his perfect word to imperfect people. And that's the reality. He's calling you to trust imperfect people, rely on imperfect people, have relationships with imperfect people, let imperfect people into your life. And that's hard. But two things I want to communicate this evening, two things that I feel would be a, a great start for all of us in this discipleship process. How can I represent him well? How can I be a good representative? Because we've seen bad ones. We've had, we could probably list 10 right now. And then the second thing is, how can I help others to become good representatives, right? So how can I carry out what that's saying in Matthew? How can I go and teach them to be good representatives? Okay, so I, there's two good places to start with number one. How can I represent Jesus well? It's two places to start. The first one is live in his word. Let's turn to John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Well, the only word that I think in there that might trip you up a little bit is the word abide, Right. And that word means to remain, to stay there. You got to be a diligent student of his word. But I actually think that that's an advanced step. For most of us, I think it just starts with reading. I think the reality is most of us don't even do that. Man, I remember one time, man, I was 14 and 
I wanted my own Bibles because the Bible I used to read in church was always the Bible that was in front of me in the seat, the little pocket. And so I was like, man, I kind of want my own Bible. So my dad's like, yo, I'll take you to the Christian bookstore and we'll get you your own Bible. I'm like, cool. So I'm in the store, we're looking around and uh, I see all these different Bibles, like real specific Bibles, like plumber's Bible, like Bible for housewives, very specific. And so I'm like, man, like which one's for me? Which one is like really cool teenagers kind of? And my dad picks up this really ugly Bible and he's like, man, I think this is the one for you. And it was like some weird teen Bible. And I was like, dad, I'm 14. I've been doing the teenager thing for like a year now. I think I'm ready to advance to the study Bible because the study Bibles were crazy hot. They had all cool covers. And then when you open it up, you weren't even open up to scripture. It was like somebody's notes. And I was like, this is what I want. This crazy maps in the back. This is the Bible that I need. And the thing was, I got that Bible, I went home, read it for two weeks, and I never touched it again. Because there's a problem with being diligent in just reading the word, just consuming the daily bread. It's difficult. So yes, for some of us, you gotta wrestle with the text, you gotta go deep, you gotta connect the dots, you gotta have cross-references, you gotta have dictionaries, concordances. But for the majority of us, this word abide, literally means stay don't move keep your behind in the chair until you finish the chapter <laughs> don't move don't pass go just read it abide in reading read the word eat that daily bread now let's look back at the text it says so jesus said to the jews who had believed him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples truly my disciples that scares me. Because if you can truly be something, well, what's the opposite of the word true? Fake, false, right? False. So you could be a false disciple? You could false claim on Jesus. You could be a phony, a fake, not legit. That's a very strong language, Jesus. If you don't abide in my word, you are a false disciple. But it makes sense. Because if you don't read, his word, then you really literally have no idea what he's talking about. So there's this crazy time in my life. I was like right about to go off to college and I was still in my mom's crib. And uh, my mom had a friend who had a son who was a little bit younger than me. And uh, he had to do a book report. And uh, I guess he was struggling with the book report or whatever. So he complains to his mom. His mom calls my mom. My mom calls me, tells me to go over there. All right, so I think he was also low-key trying to get me to do the book report for him, but that wasn't gonna happen. Um, so I'm there and I'm like, okay, what's the name of the book? And he's like, To Kill a Mockingbird. And I was like, great, that's an awesome book. This is gonna be an easy book report. And I was like, okay, what would you say To, Killing Mock to Kill a Mockingbird is about? This brother said, hunting. <laughs> and I was like, really? So you're just gonna look at the title and try to just assume what the book is about? Because I know you didn't read a page in this book for you to say something crazy like, hunt. oh, to kill a mockingbird, hunting, okay. This is what I'm saying and it's not, we laugh, but it's not that crazy because we think about it. Sometimes we say things that we think are right, but because we're not in the word, it ends up being completely off. As, as off as hunting is, because we're not, we don't know what God is saying. We have no idea what he's talking about. So read your Bible, church. Stay there, abide. And after all that reading, 
you'll come to a point where you find out that reading isn't just about learning. The Bible doesn't resemble a storybook so much as it resembles an instruction manual. You're called to read it so that there's an action. You've got to do something. The goal is to turn readers into leaders. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 28. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat on the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The craziest part to me about this whole verse is that both people heard. Both people read. Hearing is only half the job. Reading is only half the job. You got to hear it and do it. It's a manual. You follow it. No one brags about recipe writing. No one's like, yo, man, I got this crazy cupcake recipe. It's bananas. And then the first question someone's going to ask you is, how does it taste? And if the response to that is, well, I don't know, because I never made any cupcakes, you would say that person is crazy. Because a recipe doesn't mean anything if there's no cupcake. You don't inquire about the recipe unless the cupcake is dope. And if the cupcake is nasty, then you have to assume that the recipe is incorrect. So I need you guys to dig into the recipe so that the product in your life, that cupcake, is tasty. So it's very frustrating for me to even say that because as much as I just want to leave it like that, that's the truth and you guys need it and I said it to you, that's hard for me. It's frustrating because for a long time, you know, I've been trying to lose weight in my mind, right? <laughs> and I knew everything that you needed to do, but really only until maybe about a week ago, I was actually trying and made some steps in order to do it. Um, I had all the info. If anybody asked me, yo, Rich, man, I'm trying to drop some pounds. What do I do? I was like, well, you got to do X, Y, and Z. But my product wasn't reflecting what I was saying. I forsake the implementation just for the knowledge. And I was satisfied just by knowing and not doing. I became that foolish man. Um, I was so hype about the knowledge that I made the implementation second place. So I'm just encouraging you guys in your path to represent Christ well, to abide in his word, abide, stay. For most of you, that's read. For others, it's study. And then do. To not just become fat in your mind of all this knowledge that you have, but that the product would represent the recipe. The second thing, the second uh, place in your kind of discipleship starter kit um, that you should start is loving people. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love is kind of vague, right? It's this word that kind of gets thrown around a lot in our society. But one of the things I love about this verse is that he's saying, love one another 
just as I have loved you. So now there's a definition on the love that we have to exhibit. You don't get to put your own definition in. It has to be one that matches the love that he gave to you. So in order to really understand the love that we have to exhibit, we have to really understand the love that we've been given. So let's just dive into just a few aspects, just a, just a little taste of the love that Jesus is talking about. Sacrificial love, the cross, dying for us, taking the sins of the world on his back, taking the lashes, the whips for us to give us a chance at new life in relationship with him, a sacrificial type of love. Is that the kind of love that we're giving to our brothers and sisters? Are we willing to take from our coffers and give to someone else? Are we willing to take from our excess and give to those who have nothing? Is that the kind of love that we're showing? Compassion. In Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is that what we're, is those, are those the kind of people that we're pursuing? The people that are just under incredible pressure, that work two jobs, that have chronic illnesses, people with real issues. Are those the relationships that we're pursuing? Are we trying to be compassionate to those people? Security, protection. Isaiah 54, 17, you probably all heard this. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. God is my security guard. No weapon is going to prosper. That's the kind of protection that I'm getting from him. And I, am I giving that to the weak? Am I giving that to the defenseless? Am I looking out for justice opportunities in my community and in my church? Is that the kind of love that I'm giving? And finally, generous. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's not Hallmark, that's Jesus. <laughs> and it's so funny that it's so ingrained in our society that we don't realize like, man, like, is that true? Because it seems like we all want stuff. And it doesn't seem like we live a life where we're trying to give. Because there are a lot of those that have nothing. And they're constantly with their hands out. And we're constantly with our hands in our pockets. <laughs> pockets. Um, and I could list these out forever. But are we showing the kind of love to our brothers and sisters in here? Are we being compassionate? Or are we quick to judge? Are we generous? Or are we hoarders? What came first? We prayed or throw shade? <laughs> we need to pray and ask God to transform our hearts into hearts that hurt for those around us. Let's go back to the scripture. It's saying that it's the uniform of the people. It says that people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Jesus follower has that love. For many of us, we represent Jesus with our mouths, but not with our lives. Your problem is not that no one knows you're a Christian. You're pretty vocal about that. But unfortunately, the problem is that you give Christians a bad name. You let them know you by your label and not your love. Do I label myself as a Christian? Absolutely. But my hope is that you would notice it first. I hate to keep using these weight loss examples, but that's just kind of the season I'm in right now. Uh, so I had a friend come up to me and he was like, Man, I've been working out like crazy. I lost mad weight, right? And he's like turning around and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I guess, right? But the, the, the thing is when you're really losing weight, people come to you and be like, yo, man, I see you. 
looking kind of baggy, right? <laughs> Losing that weight. You don't have to tell them anything because the results tell the whole story. And that's what I want you guys to move in. That your love, step your love game up. Match it with the love that Jesus shows us. Because for some of us, we're in the word. We do what the word says. We're obedient. But when it comes to people, that's where it falls apart. People are scared to even approach you. You're abrasive. You gossip. You don't keep promises. You're violent. You insult people. Don't let any of that be about you. Let them know you represent Jesus to the fullest by showcasing his love. Let that, let that ring true for you. Man, I, I would have done swung on that guy, but you didn't. There's something up with you. You go to church? <laughs> yes, I do. I do. And I did think about swinging on him, but let me tell you why I didn't. You know, things like we got to open up these conversations by being different. And so loving God's people and living in his word are a great place to start when you want to train yourself to just be a better representative. You know, one of my favorite rappers, his name is Ambassador, uh, he's a Christian rapper. He said this back in 1999. He said, uh, religion sells, but we dwell in anti-Christian realms. So if you love them, then you got to represent them well. And my hope is that you now have some practical ways to do that better. Live and love. Live in his word and love his people. So there are two things that I wanted to communicate this evening. The first one, right, was how can you represent Christ well? How can you be a good representative? And the second thing was how can you help others to become good representatives? Okay, how can you help others become good representatives? Two things. One, get out of the way. Two, empty your cup. Okay. Number one is aiming at the overconfident disciple maker. Number two is aiming at the underconfident disciple maker. Let's start with number one. Get out of the way. There's a reason that I said help others become representatives and not make others into good representatives because there's a truth here that you're, that's missing from that first sentence. Ultimately, God transforms us. Now, are we used in that process to do that? Absolutely. But we are not the means by which that transformation occurs. So what I mean by get out of the way is that you cannot look at discipleship like cloning. And many times that's what I see. I see people trying to create carbon copies of themselves and saying, mission accomplished, I created a disciple. See, you're not trying to get someone to look like you, you're trying to get someone to look like Christ. But unfortunately, you're overconfident and you feel like you are the bar. People need to get on my level. People need to be like me. And so instead of wearing the cross, instead of wearing the cross on their back, they're wearing your backpack. And my problem with that is that um, it, it isn't good, but it isn't even good for the person doing it. It puts a lot of pressure on this like teacher-student kind of relationship. You're now forcing yourself to have to be the source of change in that person just 
for everything. They can never really say anything to you because you're trying to bring them to your level. There's nothing outside of you that you're trying to expose. They are constantly just looking to you for information and it's too much stress. It's too much stress. Um, so you really need to transform your thinking as I'm, you know, as Steve put, a dim reflection, right? I'm just a dim reflection of Jesus. I'm just trying to say, look, I'm just trying to help you get there. And at the same time, you're trying to help me get there. And so it doesn't create this pressurized discipleship that looks like this. Now there's discipleship that looks like this. Because now we're brothers and sisters in arms to try to get to that place. And the second thing is empty your cup. Now empty your cup, um, there's a funny, uh, funny story. So uh, if you guys have been here for a little while, there was a sermon I preached, maybe it was like the first or second one. And I was in high school and I was like trying to battle all these other religions and like trying to take them down because they were bullying me. Um, and so in that process of just trying to like combat people, uh, I met a guy and uh, he said, hey man, you're Christian? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, so what happened to the dinosaurs? And I was floored. I don't know what happened to the dinosaurs. And what I realized is whenever the topic of discipleship comes up, I hear this, man, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And the reason why we have that position of, I don't know if I'm ready yet is because most of us are afraid of three words. I don't know. We're terrified of saying that to somebody. And in doing that, what we're doing is we're taking Jesus off of his throne and replacing it with knowledge. And knowledge is now king. So he who knows all is all. And so it, it really shifted my thinking because I was destroyed by that comment. And so what happened was a couple weeks later, um, we had this like Christian club function in high school. And unfortunately we did it on the same day that like the Indian club was doing something. And there's like 40% Indians at my high school. And so no one came, no one came to our event. And we had all this extra food, a ton of food. And we're chasing down security guards, trying to give it to them, begging people to take this food. And so right at the end, right when we're packing up, who shows up? dinosaur boy right and he comes and I've been ready for him because uh, he doesn't believe in God you know he's always telling me about like the big bang and everything and I was like hey man uh, you know what created the big bang and he's like man I don't know move out the way and he just literally pushed me to the side to try to get to the food and I was just like only thing I heard was I don't know and to me he was really saying you win. And so I'm in the corner doing my victory dance because I beat Dinosaur Boy. He was the boss of that level. I crushed him. He thought he was going to have me before he even go to the dinosaurs. I hit him with that question. Boom. Knocked him down. Now, while I'm doing my victory dance in the corner, these two girls that are talking to him after he got his food. Now, these two girls had only been coming to our group meetings maybe for like a week. Um, and so to me, they were like below me, right? Like I'm kind of, they're on my level, right? And uh, the only thing I heard them say was, well, he goes, man, thank God you guys were here. And I instantly was crushed because I completely missed it. I thought the way 
to get him was by destroying him in some kind of intellectual and theological debate. And here are these two girls that don't know even John 3.16 and they're ministering to him in that moment. What happened in that brother's life is that that day, a family member of his died and he didn't eat all day because appetite's just not there mourning for that person. And so us just having this treasure trove of food, he was like, man, thank God you guys are here. And then he started opening up. Then one of our other leaders ended up praying for him. I'm just still in the corner. And victory doesn't taste as sweet. Because I missed it. See, the thing was, these are the people in our lives, right? They're just empty waiting, right? And the whole time, we're comparing ourselves. Well, I'm just a cup. What, what can I really offer? Or hold on, give me six months when I'm a bottle. Then, then, then I can talk to somebody. Then I can be of use to you, God. And God is saying to you, it's not about how much you start with. It's about how much you finish with. Make sure that the cup is empty. It's not about how much I'm filled with and comparing how much I know or, or the stature or whatever measuring stick that you have in your life. It's about what am, how much am I pouring into you? Not how big I am. What am I doing to serve you? Am I too concerned with the size of my cup that you remain empty? Because you're empty. And my refusal to pour into you is why you stay empty. But here's the thing, while you're busy worrying about this guy, he's got a lot more knowledge than you. He's traveled more than you. He's been saved a lot longer than you. He's a pastor, right? And you're just like, man, well, he better do it. What do you notice? The bottle's closed. The cup is wide open. And if the cup decides to pour in, right? Now there's something in here where before there was nothing. And that makes all the difference. So many of us are so concerned that we're on floor 10 of the building and we're like, man, there's a hundred floors. I'm just trying, I need to get to 20 and then 30. I'm trying to get to the top. And we totally miss all the people screaming outside, just trying to get inside. Completely miss it. Completely miss how this is an opportunity for us to pour into others. And my hope from my own life, my family, all of you in here is that you would take your life, whatever is in it, however big or small that cup is, and that you would forsake the size comparison of what I am versus you or anybody else, and that you would forsake that for what I can pour into somebody else. Yeah. I'm not concerned about my stature or how I look or how important I am or how many letters are next to my name. My concern is not about me, it's about you. Yeah. My concern is that all of you in here brothers, sisters, all of you that are in my life, that I could just continue to pour into you. And that when one day, when I breathe my last breath, and I'm not on this planet anymore, that my life would look like this. That my cup would be empty. And that's my prayer for all of you. That's discipleship. Let's pray. Father God, I'm just so thankful for you, just so thankful for Jesus and the life that he lived and the example that he gave. Thank you for your word that you left it for us. Help us to abide in it. Help us to do what it says. Help us to be transformed by your scripture. 
And through that, help us to just love better. Help us to just showcase your generosity, your security, compassion, your sacrifice through the love that we have. And I just pray that we would just die to this idea of comparison that we all have something to offer. We all have someone in our lives that need a word, an email, a text message, something. We can all engage in helping one another to see Christ. And I just pray that that would be the heartbeat of this church, that it would be a community of discipleship. We're not waiting on high-ranking officers to handle that job. We're all pointing to Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.